0: to our guest. Welcome. The title of this sermon is A Gospel Concern, and it can also be titled A Pastoral Concern. So if you are new to Trinity, we have been going through the book of Galatians, and so far we have seen and we have heard that the letter to the Galatian churches Paul has been arguing for the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. I want to help us put our text into context this morning. So we're going to just cover a little bit of what what was before and then what's after our text. So in chapter 3, he argued primarily from the Old Testament, showing us from redemptive history how Abraham was justified through faith Alone. He drew on scripture from the Old Testament, from Genesis all the way to Habakkuk. And he also used an illustration to help us understand the law as it relates to sonship and inheritance by drawing on the Old Testament examples of Greek culture, as well as Roman practices. In the section directly after our text this morning, verses 21 through 28, he gives an illustration of spiritual slavery and spiritual sonship by drawing on again from the Old Testament examples of Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, and Isaac. Now, what I want us to see this morning is that in our text, Our text is sandwiched between Paul's theological arguments for justification by faith alone drawn from Old Testament scriptures. And so in our text, as far as I can see, he doesn't draw on Old Testament scriptures. It's as if he takes a break from his persuasive argument to address a concern. And with this... He's showing his pastoral heart for the Galatian converts. He's showing his concern for the Galatian converts. We will see this divinely enabled theologian argue for God's truth, but with a sincere pastoral heart. Now, at church, there are pastors who are great theologians, but do not have a pastoral heart. There are great pastors with huge pastoral hearts, but with horrible theology. It is rare to have a theologian that has a pastoral heart. The Apostle Paul is one of them. Proverbs 26, verse 11 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. How can a dog return to its vomit? Just the thought of vomit itself makes my stomach queasy. To return to it is just, to me, perplexing as Paul would use that term Or how about this in 2nd Peter chapter 2 verse 22 and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire Some things in life just shouldn't happen And when they do it's a head scratcher right like Fern bathing Wilbur in the family kitchen sink. He comes out clean as a whistle, only to return slipping and sliding in the mud. If you're like me, you you probably have a look that might even look like this. On a serious note, what about a helpless woman who finally escapes from a relationship that is, that, is, that is physical and verbally abusive, only to return to the same relationship again? For most of us, that is a head-scratcher. Within our text this morning, there is something going on that is very similar that the Galatian converts is doing, and Paul is also scratching his head. He even says this in verse 30 I am perplexed about you. I believe if we can summarize the burden of our text this morning in one sentence, here's my shot of it, if it's possible. It would be this now that Christians have a personal relationship with God, they should not return to the slavery of sin. Instead, they should live in the good of the gospel until Christ is formed in them. As Christians, after we have experienced freedom from sin, it is perplexing sometimes that we want to go back to being enslaved to sin once again. That's what we will see in our text this morning. So two points for you this morning. Point number one, from sonship to slavery. Verse eight says, "Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Now, it is not clear what life looked like for the Galatian converts prior to coming to saving faith, but it was clear that they were enslaved to things that by nature were not gods. Bible scholars speculate that perhaps some of them were devoted to the Roman imperial cult or pagan deities of ancient Greece. For instance, some of them were probably caught up in astrology and worshipped star gods. Some probably worshipped Zeus because there was a temple of Zeus just outside the city of Lystra. Some probably worshipped the goddess called Mother Zesimini, who had four heads and ten breasts that they called Mother Zesimini and they thought was the nursing mother of all of life in the old testament some worshiped false idols made up of wood it had eyes but could not see it had ears but could not hear it had arms and legs but could not move what about you today prior to knowing god what were what were you enslaved to that by nature are not gods were you enslaved to money were you enslaved to pornography was was one of your idols was work were you enslaved to drugs and or alcohol Were you enslaved to sex? Or perhaps were you enslaved to pursuing beauty? Or pursuing youth? Or material possessions? Maybe at some point you were pursuing approval. Verse 9 says... But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Do you sense the tone of rebuke in Paul's voice? He was frustrated. He was exasperated with the Galatian converts. He was exasperated because becoming a Christian meant breaking away completely from idolatrous religions and false gods. And so he asked, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? The phrase elementary principles is also translated rudimentary teachings. And because of the false teachers of the Judaizers, the Galatian converts were tempted to doubt that Jesus Christ alone was sufficient for salvation. And as we have learned, as as we have heard from previous messages, they were being taught that it was necessary for them to add to their faith in Christ, circumcision, and other outdated ceremonies of the Mosaic Law. They were taught that Jesus Christ, plus circumcision, was a requirement for salvation. In verses three and nine, the phrase elementary principles can also be translated elementary or elemental spirits or elemental spiritual forces like the NIV does. You see, in Paul's day, people were enslaved to demonic spirits. These demonic spirits wreaked havoc in the world of nature They caused destruction and death and incited persecution against the Christians. Paul is asking the Galatian converts, why in the world would you want to be enslaved to those things once more? In my words, why in the world would we want to return to our vomit? In the words of the cross, after having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, why would we want to wallow in sin once again? For us today, what is it that we have gone back to? To be enslaved to once again. As Christians, we have been freed from the slavery of sin, but we live like we are not free. These things that we were freed from were, by nature, are not gods, though we worship them like they were gods. It was at the cross that Jesus was revealed as the only one true God. He alone has the power to save. He did so by atoning for our sins. He gave his life as a ransom for ours, and, he, and God the Father poured out his, his wrath on Jesus that was supposed to be aimed at us. God the Father accepted Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, and because of his perfect and willing, obedient in his sinless life, his substitutionary death propitiated God's wrath. So, what does the word propitiate mean? It simply means that Jesus turns, turned God's wrath towards us into favor. It was at the cross that Satan and the elemental spiritual forces were defeated. They were weak and worthless compared to our God who is mighty to save. If you're not a believer this morning, then my prayer for you is that you would see in your heart that you are enslaved. You are truly enslaved to things that are by nature not God's. My prayer is that these things that you are enslaved to, that you would see as weak and worthless. Though these false idols deliver sometimes happiness and relief, they are always temporary. Sex, pornography, alcohol, drugs, money, always leave you wanting. You know what? They were never really meant to fully satisfy you. Only God Is meant to fully satisfy you. These false gods, these false idols deliver pain and suffering and destruction and ultimate death. Jesus Christ, the only true God, can deliver you from them. You can be freed from the destructive work of these false idols. By the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that is sufficient for your forgiveness from your idolatry with it, which is sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ offers this forgiveness only. Don't refuse it or reject it. Accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, and his power over sin will be, will be your power. It will become your power through the Holy Spirit, and you will also escape the wages of sin, which is death. And in its place, you receive eternal life. Not only that, you receive Him. Verse 10 says, You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. It appears that the reports that Paul received about the Galatians, that they had already taken steps towards being enslaved to the elementary principles once again. They had begun observing the calendrical rituals. Perhaps they began to observe the Jewish system of religious Feasts days could refer to the observance of the sabbath months could refer to the new moon trials seasons could refer to the great annual feast such as the passover The concern here Paul's pastoral concern is that the Galatians would be drawn into a religious system where obedience of the calendrical ritual was a means to obtaining Favor and maintaining favor with God. What about you, church? What steps are you already taking towards being enslaved to things that are by nature not God's? If God has delivered you from pornography, then have you started surfing the web late at night? If God has delivered you from being enslaved to the almighty dollar, then have you started to work extra hours and have you begun to neglect your family? If God has delivered you from the the addiction of alcohol, then are you participating in events where there is drunkenness and disorder? Are you pursuing ungodly relationships for sex? Are you telling lies at work, or at school, or at home to win worldly approval? If you are, then I wanna encourage you to remember that you are no longer a slave. You are the son of God. You are the co-heir with Christ. And if you are the son of God, then you have inherited God himself. Our God is omnipotent and is sovereign over all things. All other idols are worthless and weak. You have received the Holy Spirit. So walk by the Spirit so you do not grant the desires of your flesh. You are in Christ, so walk in the victory of Christ in the victory over to your temptations. You are a free man, Christian. You are a free woman, Christian. You are a free child, Christian. Only don't live like you are slaved and chained to sin. You are free and you are free to love that is good and holy and pure and true. Conversion to Christianity is a complete break from the slavery of sin paid by the blood of Christ on the cross. Point number two, freedom in the gospel, ought to lead to living in the good of the gospel. Verse 12 says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Note that this is the first imperative or the first command in this letter. There are different schools of interpretation for what Paul is saying here and what he means. Elsewhere in the Bible, he tells his readers to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Well, in our text this morning, he's saying something different. Perhaps the best interpretation that I've found based on this present context is by uh, Timothy George or Thomas George in his commentary of Galatians. He says this about Paul Look at what has happened to me. I was once a zealous devotee of the Mosaic law, stricter than any of you, and careful obedience of its many requirements, but Christ has delivered me from the bondage to the law. I now live in, by faith in him who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now I long for you to become like me, living in the liberty of those who are truly the children of Abraham and of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was living in the good of the gospel and he is encouraging, he's actually commanding the Galatian converts to do the same. What Paul is doing here is what, what scholars called or calls contextualization. Big word. Contextualization is the need to communicate the gospel in such a way that it speaks to the total context of the people to whom it is addressed without compromising the message. John Stott says it well, in seeking to win other people for Christ, our end as Christians is to make them like us, but the means to that end is to make ourselves like them. If they are to become one with us in in Christian conviction and experience, we must first become one with them in Christian compassion. What I want us to see this morning is that Paul knew how to become so integrated into the life of a community that he could explain the gospel in words that the people in Galatia could actually understand it. So how might we apply Paul's strategy today? As Christians, we don't go into bars and drink liquor and wine and alcohol and get drunk so that we can share the gospel with other drunk people. <laughs> that would be inconsistent with living our lives in the good of the gospel, and that would compromise the message of the gospel. Trinity Community Church is not a soccer club, but at one time we had several non-Christian soccer players play with us. And so we began to do devotionals that were written for Christian athletes. And at one point, we even did a cookout with them, and as we ate together, we shared the gospel with them. What about you, church, today? What are some of the hobbies of your non Christian neighbors? What are some of the hobbies of your non Christian friends that you can get into? Is it woodworking? Is it gardening? Is it fishing? Is it golfing? Is it surfing? What is it that you can climb into their world without compromising your Christian faith and the message of the gospel so that you can understand their world and then present the gospel to them in a way that they would understand? Paul says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because... Of a bodily ailment, that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Even though Paul had suffered much persecution as well as physical ailments, he continued to live in the good of the gospel. Even though Paul was afflicted with a bodily ailment, he persevered and he endured and he preached the gospel. In Paul's day, to be afflicted with a bodily ailment was seen as a sign of divine displeasure and divine rejection. In that culture, if you had a bodily ailment, then you were spat on and rejected. However, the Galatians did not scorn or despise Paul, but received him and the gospel message as if they received Christ himself. Time out. Time out. Do you see God's redemptive work in the midst of adversity? Paul, had a bodily ailment. And God used Paul's bodily ailment as an opportunity for his glory and for the good of the Galatian churches. God used Paul's problems to achieve his good purposes. Paul's infirmity became God's opportunity. Think for a moment. What sort of disaster in your life Did God use for his glory, for your own good, and for the good of others? Was it a bodily ailment? Was it a financial setback? Was it relational conflict? Was it a loss of a loved one? How did God use these life disasters in your life? Did he use them to draw you closer? Did he use them to make you less self-sustaining and more God-honoring dependent? Did God use fire to work out the dross in your life? The little boy was born in an affluent family. He had Drivers to drive him, cooks to feed him, nannies to care for him, servants to wash him. One day, his father took ill and eventually died. His mom was a housewife and, not, and could not care for the family's business. And so the business began to decline. And she had spent the family money towards medical bills for the little boy's father's care. One by one, the driver went away. The cook went away. His servant went away. His nanny went away. Soon, the mother and the little boy was in destitute. God, being aware of the need, sent a man halfway across the world who wanted a wife and a family. After they got married, they began to start attending church. And by the, by the mercies of God, they came to saving faith. What are the odds of that happening? I want to submit to church. Church. The odds are so strong when God is at work to redeem those who needed a Savior in the midst of adversities. You see, church, back to our text. We don't have to be heating in all cylinders in order to be used by God for gospel proclamation. We don't have to have all of our ducks in a row to be used by God to win people over for Christ. Even if you have a chronic illness, God can still use you. He is more than able to use you as a minister of the gospel. The challenge for us, church, Is this, it's to live in the good of the gospel in the midst of our present circumstances. I believe that even if you are on your deathbed, God is able to use you to declare the saving grace of the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are taking care of you who don't know him. Church, in the economy of God, nothing is wasted. Our God is a God of redemption. He's able to use our pain. He's able to use our sorrow. He's able to use our suffering to bring about a redemptive work in us and the people around us. Church, he's able to bring the greatest good out of even the smallest setback. Maybe your marriage is suffering today. God is more than able to use your marital strain to reorient your minds from self centeredness to God centeredness. He's able to use your pride and lead you to humility and repentance that moves towards reconciliation and restoration of your marriage. If you feel that you have a void in your life, don't go back to the days prior to you coming to saving faith and fill that void with those things that are by nature are not God's. The void that you feel in your life is meant to draw you to God. Mm -hmm. Fill that emptiness with God and God is the only one who can fill that void with complete satisfaction. God is the only one who can ease your longing. As Christians, God allows adversities at times in our lives to purify us, to perfect us, and to bring others around us into saving faith. Verse 15 says, What has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. The Galatians were no longer living in the good of the gospel. The word blessedness is the ESV translation of the word makarismas. It also means happiness and joy. It connotes a state of well-being that results from being rightly related to God. So when the Galatians first heard the good news of the gospel, they received it with joy and happiness. They experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They went from slavery to sons of God. They were overjoyed, so much so that they were even willing to gouge out their own eyes to give to Paul. Now, that's what the word of God says, but I believe this is what it means. They were so happy because thou they are in right relationship with God that they would have done anything for Paul. Paul was asking the Galatian converts, what happened to that blessedness? What happened to that happiness? What happened to that joy? Why are you turning back once again to being slaves of the elementary principles once again? Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Verse 16. You see, Paul had not backed away from telling the Galatians the truth in love, though it hurt. Church, this is a mark of a faithful pastor. A faithful pastor is not, being, is not about being popular to his church. A faithful pastor is about being faithful to the word of truth in God's word. Has Paul become an enemy of the Galatian churches because he told them the truth? Have I become your enemy this morning by telling you that converting to Christianity means a complete break from the slavery of sin? Because that's what it means. The good news is that complete break away from sin is not Dependent upon our power, but it's dependent upon the power indwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. For Paul, to live in the good of the gospel means to speak the truth in love. We see this in Ephesians 4.15. Why is that important today? Why should pastors speak and preach the word faithfully? Well, because telling the truth in love is protection from false teaching. It is also a means. Speaking the truth, though it hurts in love, is also a means to encourage and challenge and edify the body of Christ. Word of caution for all of us. In our community groups or perhaps just in general relationships, let's speak the word of truth to each other, but don't let the word of truth overshadow our commitment for our love to one another. At the same time, let us not water down the truth at the expense of our love for one another. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. Verse 17, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. He says in verse 18, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children. See, he, he's bringing a rebuke. But with love, you can see this in his language. He says, brothers, brothers familial terms, my little children in the faith. He's concerned for the Galatian converts. For whom I'm again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. That is a tone of rebuke done out of love and concern from a faithful pastor. You see, the Judaizers were trying to draw away the Galatians' affection from Paul. They were trying to to draw them away from the Christian liberties and bring them to a life of legalism by the observation of the Mosaic law. And so in the language of love, Paul called them brothers and children in the faith. And he's again in anguish like a mother feeling labor pains during childbirth until, until Christ is formed in them. In conclusion, church, to live in the good of the gospel, let us not allow the elementary principles or the elemental spirits enslave us once again. Let us live in the good of the gospel by rejecting the false gospel that leads to a life of godless legalism. To live in the gospel is to live our lives as we truly are, free in Christ Do you truly believe that God has set us free from sin? Christians are set free from the slavery of sin. The only time when that is not true is when we allow, allow ourselves to be enslaved to sin. If you are a Christian, and you are struggling with sin, then there is hope for you and there is hope for me. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. And God has given us the spirit of adoption now. We are sons and daughters of the one and true God. We inherit Jesus Christ himself. Now he dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, church, let us walk by the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. God is our hope and present in help in time of need. Would you stand with me?